Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friends? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. My name is Grant Baldwin. Good to have you here with us today. We are a month into 2016, and I hope life is treating you well. Hopefully, your speaking business is popping, and I, th I think that means good. I think that means good. That that's what we're going to go for today. We got a lot of great stuff happening this month. I'm really excited about. We got a new free tool that's coming out uh, next week, I believe. So be on the lookout for that. We interviewed a bunch of the top speakers in the world to ask them, "What is your best speaking tip? What is your best?" speaking strategy. So you're going to be hearing from them. Be on the lookout for that next week. So uh, pay attention. Hey, also, if you haven't already, make sure you stop by thespeakerlab.com. There you can hop on that email list. And so that way you don't miss out on anything good because we, we share a lot with you on the show, but there's also things that we share with you just through email. And I, uh, I don't want you to miss out on anything. So, all right, let's get into today's interview, today's conversation. Today we are joined by Brian Walter. And uh, here's why we had Brian on the show is not only is he a great speaker, but he's also the uh, basically the incoming, let me make sure I get this right, incoming, incoming president of the NS. NSA, not that NSA, the National Speakers Association. So many of you maybe have heard of the or are familiar with the NSA, and it's it's one of those organizations and associations I get a lot of questions about. People are going, should I join? Do I need to join? Should I go to a conference? What about the chapter meetings? Is it worthwhile? Is it beneficial? What do I get out of it? Yada, 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 yada. Brian is going to be, again, the I think the president in 2017 of the National Speakers Association. So we talk a little bit about the organization, the association, how people can get involved in it, how people can dip their toe in the water there. Also, Brian has a great, great story as a speaker, how he got into speaking. Because a lot of times people, we, we think of speaking as just the traditional, you know, you get up on stage and you present some type of, of formal keynote or workshop. But Brian has really built a business doing almost like a variety show from stage. And he does a lot of customization with it for the audience that he's speaking to. And so I like showing kind of these non-traditional type of speakers. And so Brian definitely fits into that uh, that category. So not only a great speaker, but he also has a lot to share about the, uh, the National Speakers Association. So I think you're really going to enjoy that. Uh, two quick things I'll let you know of. One, we had a couple of audio issues that we tried to take a peek at and tried to clean up. So if you if you notice any scratchy, scratchy, scratchiness, then uh, just a heads up on that. And then also number two, after the interview, Brian and I were talking, and he said uh, he said, "Hey, by the way, we have the what's called the Speaker Magazine from the NSA, uh, which I've actually subscribed to. It's a great magazine with with tips and strategies every single month for speakers. And so he said, "Hey, tell you what, if, if people want, they can just get a free issue of Speaker Magazine. So super cool." 
that he's is hooking us up with that. So if you were interested, you can go to thespeakerlab.com slash magazine. All right, thespeakerlab.com slash magazine. And you can uh, you can get that free issue of the Speaker Magazine. So definitely want to uh, check that out. All right, my friends, without further delay or ado, let's get into it. Here's my conversation, my chit-chat with uh, future, future NSA President Brian Walter. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. Graham Baldwin here. I'm joined by Brian Walter, who is the, uh, eventually he's going to be the president of the National Speakers Association, the NSA, the good NSA. And, uh, we, and I know there's, there's a lot of people here NSA and they think this is this horrible spy organization, which I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not, but you hope you're a part of a different NSA. So, uh, Jack, we like to say we're the ones. NSA who speaks, not the NSA who listens. Ah, very nice. Well played. So, uh, Brian, we're going to talk a little bit about the NSA. That's a question that I know I get a lot from people, people wondering about the National Speakers Association. And so uh, you're a couple years from being the, the president of the organization, which is really, really cool. So we're going to talk about that. But I'm interested, first of all, let's just talk about your own speaking business, your career, kind of what it looks like, how you got started. So first of all, tell us a little bit about who do you speak to? What do you talk about currently as the business sits? Uh, exactly. So my business is called Extreme Meetings. And so we provide customized infotainment to make meetings memorable. Think about like a Saturday Night Live show, only about a business. I would say I'm a non-traditional speaker. I'm not a keynoter. I'm not a expert on leadership, communication, customer service, or sales. I'm a expert on customization. I like to say I'm the speaker for topics for which there are no speakers. Interesting. So, so like, okay, so like if you, so, so you are not a typical keynote speaker. So are you, is it basically like a one man show or what does that kind of look like? How does that play out? Oh, the great thing is it's scalable. So it can be a one man show where it's just me or I can bring, I can augment myself and make it more of an experience. For example, let, let's say I'm doing an event and we want to make it a, a larger event. It's a multi day conference or something. I may be the MC and infotainment person. I might do several short segments throughout. But in addition, I might bring in from my team some actor-singers and we'll do some parody songs about a product, about a service, about a role. We might do a sketch that involves actors and executives. So depending upon what their need is or what type of experience they want, it can be just me. It could be me plus one singer or it could be me and a cast of five or six people. Interesting. So it sounds like you have to, each event is, sounds like it's, it's fairly customized to what the, the setting is and what the audience is. Is that true? Uh, exactly. I have what I call formats. For example, I might have several game show formats or audience interaction formats that I can use in different combinations, but the content is all 100% customized for the client. If I'm speaking to the American Payroll Association, everything's going to be about payroll. If I'm, you know, speaking to, you know, an aluminum manufacturer, the references and the content is going to be different, but many of the formats will be the same. Gotcha. So the format itself, you're going to repeat, and that's going to be kind of some foundational pieces, some stuff that you know that works. And then how much would you say, uh, if you're doing a, you know, a 60-minute presentation, how much of that is customized, brand new stuff versus stuff that you, you've done before? Uh, sure. Most likely, probably about two thirds of the formats will be formats I've done before. 100% of the content, the actual what's being referenced, is 100% customized for the client. And probably about 25% or a third will be some sort of format, some sort of 
experience or you know presentation that I crafted exactly for that event that'll never be repeated again. Gotcha. Interesting. Seems like that's a, a a huge win for the client, but it also seems like that would be a lot of work for you, like always having to come up with new stuff. Sounds like. Uh, yes. Yes, it is. But and part of it is like how you want to spend your time. Like again, we I like to say, what is it that's your magic when you're a speaker? What is it that's your magic? When I say magic, meaning that when others see you deliver it or share it or they experience, they think, oh my gosh, that's magical. But to you, it's really craft. Right. Now, if I was a leadership communication expert, I would be spending countless hours picking up the latest literature, the latest theories, coming up with new stuff and writing and all of this. I would be spending hours and hours and hours on making sure that I'm current and cutting edge. In my particular business, I don't do that. Instead, what I'm doing is like, how can I customize content for this particular specific event? So the net amount of hours is ultimately the same, but I'm preparing a lot more for each individual speaking engagement than the average speaker. Gotcha. That makes total sense. Okay. So uh, I'm curious about how you kind of arrived at this point. So let's backtrack a little bit. First of all, tell us how sure. you kind of got into speaking in the first place. It's fascinating. I like to say my uh, first kind of connection to speaking was when I was in a fraternity at UCLA. Okay. <laughs> so what the deal was, I uh, got elected to the board of my fraternity, you know, probably at 80 guys, and I was the secretary. And on the Monday night meetings, it was my job to recap the meeting or the minutes from the previous meeting. Can you imagine anything less desirable for an audience to hear? It's like the meeting minutes before. In so a fraternity, I let alone. I, I know a fraternity, a fraternity. It's like, you know, we voted to blah, blah. I mean, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like they wanted like to stab each other with a fork. So instead, what I created what I called funny minutes. And I didn't realize but I was actually practicing for something I would later get to do professionally. So I would come up with funny ways and I would do skits and parody songs and just yeah, things with, you know, sound effects where we're using like reel to reel or cassettes, you know, because it was a while before you were in college, <laughs> let's just say. And, and that was something that got me hooked on the idea of customization. Then when I, w I was working in retail, I was in a training department and I was in communications for a department store chain that was uh, headquartered in Seattle. And during there, it's like at large meetings, I would do what many young 20-somethings do, which is you exceed your job description. And, oh, we need someone to do this at a meeting. I'll do that. So I started doing things at, at meetings. Again, had no idea that I was actually developing skills that I would later use to be a professional speaker. And so my two things happens. One is when I left retail, I started join, I joined a small training company. I did sales and marketing and some speaking and training for this company. It's called the Effectiveness Institute. Sounds like a skit at Saturday Night Live. It's the Effectiveness Institute. Yeah. But, you know, we would do people skills training and things like that. So I started realizing that I had what are called platform skills, which means that I was very good in front of an audience. I, I could be very engaging, I could be funny, I could be interesting, I could tell stories well, I could connect with them, but I had no topic. I like to say, during that time, I knew a little bit about everything, but not everything about anything. Right. I think, you know, to jump in here, I think there's a lot of people that are in that spot of going like, 
I've spoke a few times before here and there. It was a lot of fun. I really liked it. I just have no idea like what I would actually talk about that someone would be interested in. But before, I want you to talk about that. But before you get there, I'm curious, as, as you, you talked about how you were kind of building your platform skills, do you feel like that was something that you were naturally born with? Or do you feel like that was something that developed from I'm doing some stuff in my fraternity, doing the, these funny minutes, or I'm speaking at some like just retail meetings, just kind of off the cuff here and there? Like, do you feel like that's something that you're born with? Or is that something that just comes with over time with practice? It is absolutely categorically both. That you, uh, I think that there are many of us who are born, so to speak, with an ability to communicate well. That doesn't mean we're great. It means that we've got a jump start. There are those who their skill has to all develop intentionally. There are some people who just should not speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because uh, what it comes down to is, can you be interesting live in front of others? That's what people want more than anything else. However, there has to be a reason for you to, to be there. I've listened to people where they've given a fascinating presentation. I'm like, well, that's really interesting. What do they talk about? I have no idea. Right, right. And so they can dazzle us. And so like they're like, they're all frosting and no cake. Right. Makes sense. So let's get back to the, you're at that spot where, again, I think a lot of people are of, I spoke a few times. I really like it. It's a lot of fun. I feel like I've got some of the platform skills and maybe I've got kind of this natural knack to be in front of an audience. I have no idea what to tell them, especially what to tell them in, in order to get paid. So was this something that you were, you were, I spoke a few times. This is fun. Now I want to figure out how to turn this into a career or how did you kind of see speaking fitting into your, your current life situation at the time? Well, a couple of things here. One is I think sometimes our topic finds us yeah, and, and, or the clients will tell us what we're good at. And so, so many of the, the biggest insights, the biggest ahas I've had in my professional career have been things that I've realized from what clients have told me or asked me to do. Now, again, for me, the, the shift was that I had, again, started working for this training company. I was doing a little bit of training, a little bit of speaking on behavior styles, you know, kind of the four quadrants. And I had funny stories and I was quite good at it, but I felt like a fraud because I wasn't an expert at it. And then I thought, do I wish to be an expert on this topic? Yeah. And candidly, the answer was no. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like, so I want to speak more, but I don't really have a topic. At that time, the retailer that I used to work at, where they were headquartered in Seattle, they had a poor year from a gross margin point of view. And the CEO, I still remember his name, Ira Pickel, uh, he realized he wanted to get all the top people in the company, the buyers and the store managers and the you know middle management people, buzzing, as he said, about gross margin improvement. And he said, if I yell at them, that's not going to work. And they had these these series of monthly meetings. And so they went to a vice president of training. They said, remember that funny guy who used to work here? What was his name? Brian. Yeah. Have Brian come back and do something at these meetings. So what was presented to me is the opportunity, which was, okay, the CEO wants you to do something at these monthly meetings to basically create a buzz about gross margin improvement. Now, what the amazing gift that that was, that was a, a just an amazing opportunity because it was a very clear objective. And it pushed me out of my comfort zone. There's no one who does that for a living. Hearing a buzz about gross margin improvement. So it forced me 
to craft. So I, what I did at the time is I came up with, I did a knockoff of, you know, a late night show and I called it the late meeting show with David Letterbon. The company was called the Bon or the Bon Marche. So I created a character, David Letterbon. And so I started doing top 10 lists about gross margin improvement, guests about stupid pet tricks about or stupid human tricks about it. And so I started using what we are familiar with and then start cut. So I did basically a half hour custom variety show about gross margin improvement once a month for six months. The finale was we did a knockoff of the musical Grease. And of course, instead it was gross <laughs> for gross margin. <laughs> now, okay, I'm, the cu I'm, thing, I'm curious yeah, about this though, because this yeah. like on paper, that sounds it sounds yeah. really, really risky. You know, they're giving you a blank slate of you. Yeah, just yes. we, just, we just want that one funny guy who used to work here to come do something yeah. about gross margin. And so the typical thing is to be like, just come give us a presentation, just come motivate us, come inspire us. And so especially, I mean, as you well know, when you're doing something with some type of a variety act or you're doing comedy or you're doing some type of bit, like in your mind, it may be funny, but you really don't know until you get in front of the audience if it's going to work or not. So were you thinking like, all right, I have a blank slate. I can't really lose here. So let's just give this a shot. And if it bombs, it bombs. Or what are you kind of thinking, especially going into that first one? Because if you're doing like six months of it, you're going to refine it over time. You're going to get better. You figure out what works and what doesn't, especially with that same audience. But what are you thinking going into that first one about if this is a good idea or not? Uh, I went to it absolutely terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Understandably so. This is high, you know, wire risk at. There is no net. Yep. You know, I'm getting from, they have no, I mean, I told them conceptually what's going to happen, but they did not know what's going to happen. I did not know what's going to happen until I got in, in front of them. And there were certain things that I now retroactively realize worked. And here, here is kind of a key principle. It's like when you're doing something risky like this, you reduce the risk by making it about them because this can be customized and funny and connect, or it can be stupid. It could be, you know, someone's, they're gonna just say it, it's like, yeah, that, that, was, that was dumb or that was trite, and the word you wanna avoid more than anything else is, that could have been hokey. Right, 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 and, and, I, think, and it, I think that's the, like, that's the yeah. fine line, that tightrope that you walk with humor is, especially something like what you're describing of what you did with that kind of a variety act is, that was hilarious or that would just it just came off cheesy and slapstick. Did you know going into it how to make sure that you you landed on the correct side of the fence there? I had what I believed would work and the, the the main thing was by making it all about them. When you were talking about your audience's lives, their work lives, their work realities, then it's inherently interesting. Yeah. And it's not going to be hokey because it they, if it's, it's about them. If you make it about yourself, if you're, I did this and I did this and I did this, then you've got the eye disease. But when it's you, yours, our, then that's what I, I even remember the very first line that I opened with. Cause it's funny because I used to work there. The great thing is half the people there were confused and thought it was still me who used to work there. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was able to get away with some our language. And, and I was talking about the, you know, the, the company at the time. And I, I remember, cause, and again, they were very familiar that they'd had a bad gross margin here. I remember stopping about it. The opening line was, you know, I'm just curious. If you met someone at a party and they asked, do you work for a nonprofit organization? How would you answer them? No, but we're working on it. <laughs> that line, they just roared. And at that point, I knew I was going to be okay. 
Right. Because I was using humor to reveal truth, their truth. Right, right. It's so true that that first joke, like you know immediately within the first, you know, 10, 15, 20 seconds, how the next 45, 60 minutes is going to go based on that very first opening. So that had to be a good feeling. First joke lands, and then you're kind of off to the races from there. But it wasn't just about jokes. I mean, that, that was clearly how, how we opened. But we would create experiences, you know, like we, when we would do things like uh, when we were talking about pricing, you know, having the right merchandise at the right price at the right time at the right place. And that was kind of how we defined, you know, what are the components of good gross margin? And I would pull people, you know, who work at the department store and like in buyers and store manager, I would pull them on stage and I said, I have selected three different women's blue blazers. Let's play the prices right. How much do you think it is without going over? And then they realized that a lot of times you can't tell how much something. I mean, so we did things that were involved with their world. I would do interviews with buyers who had high gross margin. We would have, you know, parody music where we had Elvis come up and instead of return to sender, it was return to vendor. <laughs> and so again, it was different type of things. Now, ultimately what happened is this was successful and they kept asking me to come back for events. So here's, here's a thing that sometimes I think it'd be good for, you know, your listener to know. It sometimes takes you a while to figure out what your magic is. Yeah. I continue doing things like this for this company that I used to work for for three years, hmm. for three years, because I didn't think it was a transferable skill. I didn't perceive what I was doing that is customization as a skill. I mean, I mean, independent skill it was, oh, I used to work here, so I know where all the bodies are buried. Right. That's right. why I do this. And so what happens, I still remember to this day getting, getting a call, and it was from an insurance company, a local insurance company. I mean, they were corporate headquarters local. And they said, hi, Brian. It's like, I heard from so-and-so that you're an expert at making meetings more interesting. Long pause. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. I, and that's exactly <laughs> what I said, Brian. I'm like, long pause. Yes, I am. And they're like, well, we have a sales uh, conference coming up. We'd love to hire you, have you come and do the same type of thing for us. That sounds something that you can do. Yes, I can. And I remember being just as terrified, same type of format. It's not exact same type of format. I did, you know, calls, I did interviews too, because, you know, I thought I, I'm not an insurance expert at all. But then what happened is it went over just as well, went over just as well. And that was when the shaft of light from heaven shines down on your head and you realize, I get it. What my magic is, is X. So. So did it take you those three years, though, of doing it for the, the previous company that you worked for? Did you just never realize, like, I could take, quote, unquote, my show on the road and I could do this for other organizations? Like, what were you doing in the meantime in terms of just work and employment? Well, again, I was still doing, I was working for the training company. And everything I did, I still did through the training company because they're like, hey, however you earn money, that, that's fine by us, just, you know, bringing money. Yeah. So I wasn't, I wasn't doing it on the side. I was still doing it as part of what I was doing. Okay. But I'm still doing some people skills training. I'm doing some people skills speaking. It's just that I was doing, I could only go so far with that because I realized I, you know, I wasn't an expert. I hadn't put in the thousands of hours. And so what would happen is I would do a great job speaking, but then people would come up and then they would start asking me questions about challenges in their workplace. And they're asking for advice because that's what happens when you speak. Right. People are like, oh my gosh. And I realized I was a fraud, that I was living in fear of, I would say I, I had about like two levels of answers. 
And then as soon as I got to the third level, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to reveal that. I don't really know, you know. <laughs> and that, that imposter syndrome is, is something that's real when we're developing our content until we realize, okay, this is where I truly have expertise. Because as speakers, you need to have an expertise and you need to explore to find out what that is. It, so it sounds like it took you a little bit to explore to find that for yourself. How long did it take before you arrived at the point where you felt like you walk in, you speak on a certain subject or topic, and you know and you feel like you can own it that this, this is what I'm an expert on. This is really why you hired me. How long did that take for you? Once I realized what my magic was, then it was really a period. I got a, I got a great break. So within a year of that happening, so I basically took about a year before I had a lot of confidence. And then I got referred to a bank and I got hired to do a series of brand rallies across the country and did 53 rallies in about a year. And at, at that point, that was kind of like a fast forward of craft development. Yeah. And at that point, so basically by the end of 2002, so, you know, kind of between getting that that, you know, the gross margin engagement, which is 1998, you know, it took me till about 2001 to realize what it was that I was good at. And then from 2001 to 2002, where I was really perfecting my craft. So at that point, pretty much from 2002, I realized, okay, I'm really good at this and I can provide a lot of value to clients in almost any industry. At that point, then I was off to the races. What, um, one of the things we talked a little bit about up top was just the, your involvement with the National Speaker Association, uh, NSA. So how did you find out about how did it first come on your radar, and how did you first get plugged in there? Oh, for me, I had, I had heard someone like shared, it's the same kind of thing that probably many of your listeners here. It's like, oh, you know, I've heard about the National Speakers Association, and I just like the sound of it. It's kind of like, what do I enjoy doing? I enjoy speaking in front of live audiences. Right. Oh, there's an association that, and I, I didn't really understand what they did. So it's either they're uh, about speakers or for speakers or education. Didn't really know for sure. I just knew that that sounded good. So I found out they had chapters in different cities. And in Seattle, where I live, they had a chapter meeting. And so I went to a chapter meeting. I still remember it was January 1997. I went to one meeting and then said, oh, these are my people. Yeah. Because when you think about it, if you want to get paid to speak professionally, then you've got some mutant gene inside you that says, what I have to share is so valuable that people or organizations should spend thousands of dollars for the privilege of hearing me speak for about an hour. <laughs> and if theory. I'm honest, and if I'm honest, I probably wasn't compensated enough. In theory, we're a very arrogant bunch when you think about it. <laughs> And but we actually believe that, right. and we believe we can change lives, we can change organizations, we can change how people relate, and that's quite often true. Yep. And to find people who also thought that way, and also a great thing about the National Speakers Association is that so you're you're getting part of a community, and there are people who will cooperate and believe that anything is possible. I mean, you literally could go up to another National Speaker Association member and say, I'm thinking you know, of developing a program, a leadership program on the leadership secrets of squirrels. And someone would say, well, that sounds fantastic. You know, I have a, my brother's a park ranger. Would you like me to connect you guys? I mean, right. it wouldn't be like, you're a lunatic. That's, <laughs> no one could possibly do that. Because when you think of it, you know, like think of the chicken soup series. Right. Well, right. What? You want to create books around 
chickens, like what? So, you know, to be part of a community where everybody believes anything is possible and we should help each other, that's a great community to be part of. So I think a lot of people listening are like, okay, I've at least heard of the NSA, the National Speakers Association, or maybe this is the first time coming across it. So give us a high level view. You got the community aspect, but just on a weekly or monthly or annual basis, what, what does that look like in terms of just being involved in the community? Because you got speakers all literally all over the world. So uh, how does that play out practically? Uh, sure. Well, let me kind of give you the, the macro view. Okay. So the, the National Speakers Association, there's about oh, 3,500, 3,600 members within the United States. And when we say speakers, we mean those who present live for compensation. So uh, it's not all keynoters. Now in the past, it was mainly keynoters, but as speaking has evolved, more people do what I call a hybrid. And so there are keynoters, trainers, consultants who speak, authors who speak, humorists, entertainers, used to include von ventriloquists, but I haven't met one of them for a long time. You know, you know, singers who also give messages with their singing. But so basically those who use the spoken word as a key part of their business for compensation, you know, to impact or make a difference. So that's kind of like who are, who are part of this organization. There's about 35 chapters uh, spread out, you know, in the United States. Most major cities, not all, but most major cities or geographical areas uh, have have one. And so generally in a chapter, there might be anywhere from, you know, 30 to 100 people or, you know, 150 people who are a member of that particular chapter, depending upon where you live. And they'll generally have monthly meetings. The national organization has several meetings throughout the entire year. There will be a winter conference with about three or 400 people that's in some city. In July, there's what we call influence, which is kind of like a convention, and that's the largest event, and that's gonna have like 1,500 or up to 2,000 people at an event like that. There'll be labs, which are smaller groups of like 100 people from around the country who come together for a particular topic, like it might be the technology lab, or the humor lab, or the you know platform profits lab, so it, it has a particular focus. And so people go to NSA, become a member, and go to local and national events to network, to get speaker education, and to get entrepreneurial business knowledge. Gotcha. So it's not necessarily, I think one misconception is a lot of people think, well, if I join NSA, then that is something where, that's where I get speaking gigs, or that's where I'm getting referrals. And they, I don't know, maybe they confuse it, you know, NSA with a bureau. So maybe talk about the, the differences there of, Sure, for sure. NSA is not necessarily a, a bureau or a place where you'd actually get bookings, although that you know that may be a tangential benefit of just of just building relationships with other speakers. But kind of talk about the differences there. Absolutely. Here, here's a way to think of it. The National Speakers Association is an association for speaker education and community. So NSA does not book speakers; it helps speakers learn how to get booked. Gotcha. And now a speakers bureau is a whole you know, whole bunch of individual businesses who will contact companies and say, okay, we hear you need a speaker, we will find the speaker for you. Now they're not an agent who represents an individual speaker and promotes that speaker. Instead they said, oh, here are a pool of speakers that we are familiar with. Once we find out the need that the client has, we'll suggest the top three or four speakers who might be, you know, we want, someone who can speak on leadership who's a former Olympian. Oh, okay, so we've got a speaker who is an ex-Olympian who is a speed skater, 
a marathoner and a Paralympian who lost, you know, two legs as a child and overcame that and speaks about overcoming difficulties. And so they might, you know, pitch those speakers to the client and the client chooses one of them. So that's what a speaker's bureau does. Again, they're not into education. They're into their business that books speakers to clients. Gotcha. Makes sense there. So someone's listening to this going, okay, I'm, I'm interested in being involved in the NSA. What would be some of those next steps to get plugged in, especially because you mentioned there's, there's about 35 chapters within the, the U.S. And we could probably also touch on our, our neighbors to the north and uh, with CAPS. But uh, in terms of, of if there's a local chapter, do I just show up? What do I do if there's not a chapter in my area? Well, let's kind of talk us through that. Absolutely. So the first thing I would do is I would go to nsaspeaker.org, which is the national website, the National Speakers Association website, nsaspeaker.org. And there you're going to find all sorts of you know, resources, information. You can join the non-member you know, NSA uh, speaker Facebook group. And from there, you're all, you're just going to start getting into, you know, what are the messages? What are the white papers? What are the different resources? Now, there's certain educational materials. There's a monthly magazine. There is a monthly audio program called Voices of Experience. That Those are free to members, but you can purchase them as a non-member. Mm-hmm. And so that's a way to start getting involved on, you know, some of the, at the information level. You can, through that website, you can find out if there is a local chapter where you live, and then you can go to that chapter's individual website and see what the programming is. The At the chapters, you know, I would say, depending upon the chapter, probably anywhere from a third to sometimes up to half to the people are coming to the chapter are those who are what I call seekers, those who are seeking out the speaking industry to kind of check it out. So you will find the local chapter meetings very newcomer friendly because it's kind of a, it's kind of a gateway into the organization. That's again, how I got involved. In fact, most speakers I know that they tend to get involved at the chapter level first because that's easier and it's a very, you know, it's very affordable to do so. And you get to meet other people, talk to other people face to face and see, is this something that I'm interested in? Gotcha. Very good. So we can start looking into that. I know that you guys also run, and you kind of alluded to it with your uh, with your winter conference, but what are some of the, the training events that are available throughout the course of the year if we want to learn more about, you know, the speaking business and growing it and just networking and connecting? What are some of the national type of conferences that you have? Certainly. So, again, in uh, usually in February of every year, there's what we'll call the winter conference, and that's about a two-and-a-half-day event. And again, it'll, it'll have kind of the emphasis will be on the business side of speaking and also the platform or presentational side of speaking. Because usually when someone joins the National Speakers Association, one of our past presidents kind of quoted it this way. He said, people join NSA for one of two reasons. They want to speak more or they want to speak better. And usually one of those two angles is what you're most interested in. And it's like, oh, you know, I've got good platform skills. I connect, but, you know, I just, how do I make more money at this? How do I develop products? You know, how do I do an online presence or edutainment? So there there could be the business side of it that's most attractive to you, or it could be the, you know, how can I be more interactive in my presentations? How can I use polling, audience polling in my presentations? How can I be funnier? How can I do a better job with my visuals? So when you break down the craft 
uh, and the art of speaking in front of others professionally, those are kind of the two tracks that most people want to explore. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, and I, I always, I've always told people, uh, I personally, just my experience, I went to a, I, I lived in Missouri for several years, and, and I was in southwest Missouri. The closest chapter was in St. Louis, which was about three or four hours away. So I was never able to make it to a chapter meeting, but a couple of years ago, I went to a uh, one of the national conventions that was in, I think it was in Phoenix. I think it's going to be in Phoenix again this year, isn't it? Uh, yes, yep. So, uh, so went in Phoenix, and was able, yeah, like you said earlier, just kind of, you go there, and you're like, wow, these are these people get it. Like these are my people. They understand what it is that, that what I do. So it's definitely, if, even if you don't have a local chapter that you can get to, or even that you could drive to a couple hours away, it would definitely be worth checking out one of the, either the winter conference or the national conference. And even like you said, just, even if it, it is just a couple hour drive to get to a chapter, just to check it out, see, depending on where you're at in your business, see if it's a fit for you. But especially if you're interested in speaking, this is a, uh, a great association, a great organization. So awesome stuff. Well, hey, any final words of wisdom before we wrap up. Sure, I would say, especially when it comes to the to the National Speakers Association, it comes to you know your listeners' development as speakers is to first realize where are you in your development cycle. Now, for example, let's say I'm someone I've been a mid level manager somewhere, and I've always been told that I'm good at speaking, and I've done it for free a number of times, and I've got really good feedback. For that person, it's like figuring out a topic figuring out where their value is and then how to develop and how to develop that is probably going to be the primary thing that they need to work on. But there's other avenues in speaking. For example, let's say you've been a consultant or you were a, you know, vice president or C-level executive. You have a profound expertise area and you've now retired or you've left or something. And so this is now a second career. For you, it's like you're gonna have different needs because you already have expertise, but you need to know is how do I how do I monetize this? How do I turn this into a business? Right. And so it, the best thing is to know what is it that you need because there are different educational opportunities within the National Speakers Association that can help you, you know, it, depending upon what your emphasis is, but it helps for you to know what you want and to know what will actually make a difference because like anything else, you have to invest in this. You have to invest time and some money. It's not hugely expensive, but it's not nothing. And it shouldn't be nothing because if something's free, you're not gonna value it. So you've gotta invest you know, a lot of time and some money into doing this. And if you know what you need, then your development cycle is gonna go a lot faster. Cool, love it. All right, I got one final question for you. This is something that I, I didn't prep you on, but I'm gonna fire away anyway. This is one thing I, I ask speakers on the show. Tell us about a time as a speaker where it just went off the rails and it just did not go well. A time where you would say it, it cannot be worse than this. So tell us, uh, you got any bad stories that come to mind of being on stage? Oh, unfortunately, yes. So I, I, I remember it was a an insurance association and what had happened was that I had, you know, I had done that insurance client. So it's earlier in my speaking career, but not as early as I would like it to be. So I've been, I've been speaking and I made a presentation at a, you know, a state association and it went great. It was for insurance, uh, independent insurance agents. And they said, great. And then another state association hired me and they said, it's like, oh, okay, can you do that exact same presentation? Great. So I signed a contract. Time goes by. But as we get closer, they had like a regime change and they said, you're still speaking, but we need you to change the topic. And they gave me a topic that I was not familiar with. 
But I said, but you know, I said, but that's okay. I I can do it. I can do anything. And so I said, well, I want to interview a wide variety of members. And they said, well, we'd really prefer you to just interview to these two board members. I said, well, no, I'd really prefer to interview, uh, you know, more of the people in the audience. No, 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 just these two board members. And my gut said that was a mistake, but I didn't heed my gut. So I just interviewed these two board members. So I give up, get up to do a 75-minute presentation. And the very first words, and I come up with some customized humor, some very first, you know, words out of my mouth, you know, da-da-da-da. And two people left out of several hundred people there, two people, <laughs> the two people I interviewed. And I'm like, and I thought, well, that was an aberration. So then I gave some more material, and there was the only people who were smiling, nodding, or laughing were the two people I interviewed. And I realized at that moment that I had made a horrible mistake, and I had customized this whole thing for two people, but there were 300 people there. And so I started ad-libbing like mad, and you know, I brought people up on stage, and I just did not have it. I, it's like the earth, the, 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 it slows down on its axis. It just, and it just, it was the longest 90 minutes of my entire life. And I knew it was bad because at 45 minutes, I thought it's like, okay, I'll take a micro break. And so, you know, let's take a micro break here. Three minutes, turn to the person next to you, da, 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 da. When I did that, half the people got up and left. <laughs> I mean, half them, I'm watching half the people stream out of the room and I think, I have another 45 minutes. <laughs> I have to keep going. So I'll, I'll never forget the, the pain of that. But sometimes, though, you know you're sucking and you know it's all about you. But sometimes you can make a mistake in a perception. I'll close with the story. So I was doing another thing. It was for like a photography associate. And I was still doing kind of behavior style type of things. So I'm connecting. And most of the audience is, is really liking this, except for this guy in the front row. And he is just scowling at everything that I say. And he's crossing his arm, and he's shaking his head, and his foot is tapping. And I'm thinking, I'm not doing a very good job. And so I start looking at him more, and his energy is just dragging me down. And I keep going, but my confidence is getting lower and lower and lower and lower. And at the end, I'm thinking, I've done a horrible job. I shouldn't even ask for the check. I should just slink out of town here. And so I end. And several people up are coming up and saying, oh, you did a good job. And I'm thinking, yeah, 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 they're just being polite. And I'm, I just need to get out of here. And then I see the guy walk up to me. I'm like, oh, great. Just before I leave, he's going to kick me before I leave. He says, I got to talk to you. I got to talk to you. I'm like, oh, great. He goes, I'm like, okay, here it comes. That was one of the most interesting, challenging presentations I've ever heard. <laughs> like, wait, what? Yeah, I've just been I've just been wrestling with the things that you were saying. That was just really and I realized my effectiveness dropped by about fifty percent because I assumed I knew what was going on with that guy. And that was just a key lesson, which is never assume. And that's why whenever I you know tell other speakers, talk to the love in in the audience. Talk to the people who are nodding and smiling. And if you see frowny faces, they could have had a fight with their spouse. They could have had indigestion. They could have to go to the bathroom. Who knows what their problem is? Don't assume and just ignore them. Yeah. Talk to the people who are giving you the love. Good advice there, Brian. Hey, if we want to find out more about you and, and what you're up to, uh, and then also uh, why don't you give us the NSA website again, but why don't you give us where we can find you? Absolutely. Okay. First, the uh, National Speakers Association, nsaspeaker.org. 
And if you want to learn more about me, you can go to ExtremeMeetings.com. Can that all one word, ExtremeMeetings.com. Awesome. Well, we'll link up to both of those, uh, ExtremeMeetings.com as well as NSAspeaker.org in the show notes. So definitely stop by, check that out. So Brian, thanks for hanging out with us, man. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. All right, there you go, my friends. Hope you enjoyed that chit-chat with Brian Walter. Again, the uh, the future, future, I don't know why I throw in two futures there, but he'll be the president eventually of the National Speakers Association. Good stuff. Hope you learned a lot. Hopefully you were inspired there by his story and journey. Also, just a quick reminder, I mentioned to you at the top of the show, but uh, right after the interview, Brian and I were talking and he said, hey, by the way, we've got um, Speaker Magazine from the NSA and uh, people can get a free issue of that. So you can go to the speaker lab.com slash magazine. Again, the speakerlab.com slash magazine. Get that free issue of the magazine. Definitely check it out. It's a great magazine. Like I said, I've subscribed to it before and uh, really enjoy it. A lot of great practical tips there. And I mean, it's for speakers. And if you're a speaker, you want to be a speaker, then it's a great tool for you. So definitely check that out. Again, the speakerlab.com slash magazine. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We will be coming at you again real soon. Catch you next time. You're awesome.